You're listening to Saturday Morning Rewind with Tim Nidell. Let's go back in time when turtles roam the sewers of New York. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror, the black And knowing was half the battle. It's time for Saturday Morning Rewind. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am your host, Tim Nidell, and welcome to a very huge episode of Saturday Morning Rewind. But before I play the interview, which, me to say, it's a, it's a great interview, but before I play, I really just want to get serious just for a second here. First, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to Saturday Morning Rewind every month, making it a, a hit in my eyes, honestly, because I'm getting a large number of you listening. So thank you so much for that. Second, I, I want to build an audience. It's building every month, but, you know, being a podcaster who's not a celebrity, like other podcasters out there, it's hard to build an audience on my own. So I kind of want to depend on you guys to help me with that. If each one of you who really enjoys the episodes goes and tells one person, just one person, and gains one more follower to the podcast, that would be huge. Our numbers would just skyrocket out the roof. So if you guys would do that, please, that would be amazing. Also, number two, don't forget those positive iTunes reviews and positive Stitcher radio reviews. If you guys are listening on there, those really do help out. They'll gain new listeners. They'll get new interviews. People look at that and like, eh, this guy only has 47 positive iTunes reviews. I don't think I'm going to do the episode. But, you know, if we had like over 100, that would really gain so many new listeners, so many new opportunities for this podcast. So I'm pushing that out there. Help me. And by you helping me, It'll just become a better podcast. Another thing I want to push is financially. You know, it's, it's, it can be cheap to do a podcast. It could, I'll be honest, it can be cheap. But if you want to do a, a good podcast, it's not very cheap. So I have a GoFundMe page up right now. If you go to my website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com, you'll see the near the bottom of the page there's a GoFundMe tab. I'm just trying to get $500. 100% of it will go towards the podcast and website. I'm looking to get a new recorder to do different interviews with. I'm looking to get a new camcorder to do a lot of cool YouTube videos with. And in case I go to any live events, I can record it and it looks amazing. And honestly, there's monthly charges that are involved with the podcast and the website that I need help with. It's not easy being a dad of three kids. You know, I can't put all my money into the podcast because we need to eat. So if you guys want to help me out, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Look for the GoFundMe, and each if each one of you gives like 50 cents to a dollar, I'd be set on for life on this podcast. So thank you in advance. I love you guys. I'm glad you guys are listening, but let's get to the interview, all right? That's what you're here for. So this interview, I met Donnie Dunnigan at the D23 2015 Expo, and he said he would love to do the podcast. For those of you who don't know, Donnie Dunnigan did the voice of the 1942 Disney production of Bambi. I'm honored that he's on here, honestly, because I grew up on Bambi. Bambi is a timeless classic. You know, it, it may not have the princesses and princes that a lot of people think of when they think of Disney. But it's got heart. You know, not a lot of movies have heart like Bambi. So it was truly an honor to get Donnie on here, and it was a great interview. I loved it. 
Hopefully you guys really enjoy it too. So here we go. My interview with Donnie Donigan. I wanted to actually go back to your childhood. Um, tell me about your childhood. Um, I've done this before more than a few times for different reasons. <clears throat> I'll preface it with, so people understand, um, I have a very acute recall, a very sharp memory. Um, I mean sharp memory. And I don't subscribe that to uh, education or, or, or practice. I think that's just pure DNA, RNA luck. Right, and I can remember vividly my fourth birthday, and I certainly remember most things that have significance after that. Not the trivia. Uh, you, you remember when you're a child things that are that exciting, different uh, surprises. Uh, my memory is reasonably strong back to four, four and a half. At four and a half, we had moved from San Antonio. Oh, oh, let me go back, um, and this is for your. Uh, the majority of your audience that is not 81 years old like me. <laughs> now, this is in the apex. This is in the mathematic clinic uh, audited apex of the depression. And, and that depression would make any of our economic downturns or banana turns here look like Mary Poppins picnic. Mm-hmm. I think it was really bad, okay? And uh, we moved from San Antonio, uh, where there was no work, and where I was born, to Memphis, Tennessee, because my father had written longhand letters desperate all over the place trying to, uh, to get a job uh, training horses or, uh, or teaching golf. Um, he was 26 then, or 27, and uh, I guess 27, and had taught himself how to play golf uh, uh, darn well um, and knew how to teach it in basics. Anyway, we got a job. He got a job in Memphis, Tennessee. We moved there. At four and a half, and we took a a, um, a little flat, I guess we would call it in New York or somewhere, two rooms on top of a um, combination drugstore hardware store. Uh, there was no franchise stores then. There was no supermarkets, no strip centers. Uh, that will surprise our young people today. Uh, it was pretty hard scrabble basic. Um, and the uh, stairway to the room upstairs was on the outside, like in old Western uh, cowboy movies, you see. Uh, and my mom was thrilled to have it that we came out of a one-room place in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother then got a job, and this is very significant to me then and now. My, we needed, she needed a, a job desperately. Now, my mother is a blue-eyed, uh, blonde, first-generation Irish lass. Right? And she got a job because a black lady uh, that uh, uh, handled well three or four other ladies uh, including very wealthy homes in the Memphis area. We lived about a block and a half or two uh, from uh, what was called the black area, which is very well-defined. I mean, almost like a line in the street in those days. And uh, <clears throat> somehow she met this lady who helped her get a job helping clean houses, uh, which my mom was obviously very willing to do. And they were just getting by. On Saturday afternoon... About two, now don't laugh at this, i got to tell you the truth, <laughs> about two ding-dings away. <laughs> I measured distances in those days by the stump signs that actually had stump signs. I mean, a sign came down and said, go, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> It'd come up and 
flame would come down red, going stop, ding, ding, ding. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, it, not like you're standing on a corner now and somebody's saying, where are you? You look up and say, well, where am I? I'm on the walk and don't walk. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not like we do today. So about two ding-dings away <laughs> at four and a half or just past that um, uh, was a black man dancing on a uh, street corner. The street corner was very wide, as they were commonly then, in front of another pseudo-drugstore, uh, small shop store that was very popular. Uh, very, very wide corner uh, lot with a ding-ding on it. Okay? And there's a black man that danced there on Saturday afternoon for pennies and some nickels. He had a, a Victrola on the ground that you crank, you know, like cranking an old car, yeah. and an enunciator like a big cone. Uh, I had never seen one before. I was fascinated. Um, and he danced. And he had great uh, audiences. I mean, 20, 30 people would gather, and some would leave and come, but at large, semi-circle audience all the time on Saturday afternoon for about two hours. I've teased folks later, including his cousin, which I met a couple years later, <laughs> named Peg Lake Bates, who was a famous vaudevillian in New York City at the place called the oh darn, uh, Cotton Club. Um, so this fellow in Memphis, black man, that uh, his name was Sam, um, danced there at Fern Nichols and things, helped support his family. He had a full-time job in addition to everything else. You know, you, everybody forgets you if you're quiet for a change, and you're standing on the side, and you're four and a half years old. Mm-hmm. And I watched him, and I watched him, and I'm barefoot. I have no shoes. Not shedding anyway. And <clears throat> I started mimicking him. You know, this guy, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, this guy, Sam, uh, could make that wonderful, wonderful Ray Bolger dancing look like a tin soldier. This guy had no bones. Some orthopedic surgeon had must have removed all his bones. He was the <laughs> loosest, most athletic guy you ever saw. And, uh, and at that age, I had not had any, I had not seen any contrast. And so I mimic him. I move my arms around, having a great time. He spots this, and he, and he goes to my mom, very respectful, uh, who's standing there, and bows. I never seen anybody bow before. And I went in there, bang, forever. And um, I must have asked her for permission because he, uh, she took me by the hand out in front with him, and we started uh, doing a duet. Wow. The crowds loved it. We started getting nickels and dimes. Sam made a big thing at the end of yeah. the day. We get dimes. <laughs> now, mind, this is a depression. People working yep. for 16, 18 cents an hour. Wow. Okay? Hardcore. And uh, we did that for... Now, that's, that's act, very accurate. This is a guess. I think three or four center days. And a big black limousine came up to the ding-ding that some people there recognized, the crowd recognized. I mean, a big thing. i never seen anything like it. And two ladies, well-dressed in the back, one of them rolled down the window and, and uh, motioned for Sam to come over. I went with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they, they chatted a bit. Uh, she apparently had seen Sam before. She reached down and got something, folded it, and put it in her hand, put it in his hand, folded, and a, a, a bed goodbye, and they, with the driver, uh, drove off. We went back inside the semicircle. Sam opened it up, and it was a, the crowd right away. Some men in the crowd right away said, ten spots, a ten spot. Was, they used those terms then, and I picked up on it right away. That was a ten dollar bill. The five dollar bill was a five spot. And he held it up real proud, everybody's cheering, right? 
he and he's got cap shoes on. He immediately takes off around the crowd and goes down the street. We can't see him. He's running. It sounds like a machine gun with a cap shoes. You know, right over Some of the crowd that didn't know him apparently said a couple things that weren't too pleasant, and they walked away. Most of the folks stayed there. Um, I'm going to crank the uh, patrol up, and I get my single. I get a single. I'm having a great time. (laughs) Pretty soon, Sam comes back. He had gone somewhere to have that, this is Saturday afternoon, to have that uh, ten spot divided. Came back, bowed to my mother, folded, handed her five. Wow, that's amazing. That really made an impression on me. Yeah. Big time. Uh, the crowd who, he didn't show off with it. The crowd that was nearby understood it, and they, they um, applauded and said something positive. We like, danced some more, danced some more, and uh, then the day was over. The very next Saturday that we danced, it may have been a couple weeks later uh, from that event, um, the noise all over the area was there was going to be a big talent show at a theater in Memphis that uh, my wife had a picture of that somewhere. Um a theater, a movie house theater of the 20s and 30s era that was active then, now is now a national uh, treasure building. Not because of me, <laughs> but because <laughs> of its architecture and its history. But that particular theater was going to have a counter uh, contest in a couple of, of centuries. Now, our younger generation, even folks that are 50 and 60 in your audience, uh, might be surprised at this. But now this is 1938, folks. People went to talent contests, picked up a get in, which is common, or spelling bees. Spelling bees held in theater, local theaters in a school district. Huh. Okay? Once a month or so. People loaded the theaters up, loaded the auditoriums up for spelling bees and talent contests. There's no television. Very few people could afford a radio. Folks were broke and scrabble. Okay? I mean, good, decent, hard-working folks looking for jobs desperate. So they go to these things for some entertainment. And I kept hearing, him. I kept hearing, $100, $100, $100. Whoever's going to win this thing, $100. I had the impression, even then, approaching age five, I remember this well, because even the next year and the following year in Los Angeles, I would think about this once in a while. Whoever won that $100, the world would be okay forever. And that's how desperate everybody was. <laughs> I never heard that. $100. You know, a dollar was a big deal. Yes. $100. So they prepped me for this contest. <laughs> I don't have any shoes. One of the black ladies, I found some uh, tap shoes, a full three-quarters of an inch or so uh, longer than my foot at the time. Everybody was worried about that. They put paper in the toe. I practiced. You know, somehow I was cheating. I was an advantage. I'm not going to flip that thing like you cannot play. It was really crazy. <laughs> and that tap on the toe. So now we go down to the theater. Well, everybody's walking, and God, it must have been six or seven ding-dings. Uh, eight or nine people in, in this group, and my mom and dad. And my dad had to take off through this. And we got down to this wonderful theater, and uh, Sam and his wife and two daughters were with us. And we got to the door, and they wouldn't let Sam and his, do- and his family in. Hmm. Now, I had not seen anything like this. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't reading yet. I started reading about five and a half, reasonably well. But I was reasonably astute to things, and that aggravated me. I didn't say anything, I don't think, 
but it aggravated me. So I went into the theater uh, with the sandwich that me being sitting up to some balcony or something, uh, a little bit quiet from my mom, angry, which is not a way you go into a contest, right? No, exactly. So now we're getting to the wings of the theater. They had not put a, a bottom age on this, Tim. They had a top age 14. And, and a newspaper in Memphis, 1993, went back and, and uh, documented this, reached me well. They had a top age on this at age 14, but no bottom age. Now, I'm not five yet. So I'm in the wings of this theater, and I'm looking over at the stage. They have an orchestra, big bright lights, not like we have, I mean, big bright lights, uh, called stage lights. And uh, I'm watching these contestants. I understand it's a contest. I understand the word contest. And there's a, a, a gal in front of me doing a ballet. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. She's 13 or 14 years unbelievable performance. And I remember thinking, I wanted to tell my mom I didn't have the guts. <laughs> if this is a contest, I got no business being here. This mm-hmm. is crazy. <laughs> All this talent. Anyway, it's my turn. They, and they've got a Victrola. No, Sam's. they got Sam's Victrola. Uh, and they put on on stage, not the orchestra. They're mute now. Uh, it's cranked up. And I think they put the song on Tiscan and Tasket. If it wasn't that one, a year later in another contest in Los Angeles, uh, our demonstration, I guess it was in Los Angeles, it was Cisco Tasker. So I had a top hat made out of a, a gross paper, uh, a, a grocery bag that they had boot and a stick from a tree that was straight as a cane, and my cheater cap shoes on with this flippy toe, it was really neat. And I went out and, and did the Volvillian thing, da 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 bang, right? Uh-huh. I won the bloody thing. Wow. $100. Hundred dollars. I've heard that fifty times that day. From all <laughs> kinds of people. And they had a big award ceremony on it. Um, uh, later in my life, but I think back on that, I think I probably won by being the youngest kid in the sympathy vote. <laughs> I won it in any event. Anyway, we go home, and what we did not know was in, until the next next no two no two days two days later. What I did not we did not know was that in the audience of that theater packed to the gills was a man, a bona fide talent scout from RKO Studios on Angeles. Wow. We had bona fide talent scouts in those days. We didn't have all the communications and visuals we have today. And uh, uh, he did not only come out that far, but his mom was in hospital there. And uh, we learned. And um, he had a few hours off, and there's no entertainment. He's bored. He saw the talent uh, um, contest thing, so that's where he was. He was in the audience. Now we're at the contest day, at evening we're home. And my mom and dad uh, are, are sitting at the little table in their two-room affair upstairs, and they're talking about uh, money and budgets, and I'm not paying attention to this. I think I, I use funny book or something. I'm looking at pictures. The next morning, Sunday, so never get in this man's life, then 25 years in the Marine Corps, 11 years counterintelligence special agent, today and today, mm-hmm. right? Sunday morning, my dad and I took my hand, my mom, and we walked to three or four ding-dings to the north, <laughs> where we were, and uh, to Sam's house. My dad knew where it was, a little, uh, what we call a, uh, a duplex, a very narrow duplex, along with other duplexes, right out, out the doors, right out to the sidewalk, it seems to me, no yards. We went up and knocked on the door, my dad did. Sam came to the door, 
um, his mom, his wife, and the two daughters came right behind him. And uh, Sam was big expression on his face, like, oh, my gosh, what's the matter, what's the matter? They calmed down right away from my laugh. My dad sir, said a couple of things that I did not hear uh, clearly. He was a very soft-spoken man. And he um, had made an envelope out of a piece of typing paper or something, not a regular envelope, and had put in it $50. Somehow wow. he had gotten that 100 split wow. into um, a couple of 20s and 10s. He had put $50 in this homemade envelope, handed it to Sam, said something nice to Sammy, and my mom said something nice, and I'm laughing with the girls, and, and we walk off. We're now five steps away. And we hear this loud, positive yell, like a touchdown yell, mm-hmm. from Sam uh, from behind us. He had opened it up. We were dead broke. And because Sam had split at five, my dad split at 100. That's amazing. I love that. I can't tell you what. I get 55 graduate schools, 1,000 hours in combat, all kinds of wonderful things in my life, and I've survived. Those kinds of things are like... Uh, like a tattoo on both lobes in your yeah. head, you know? And that carried forward for a long, long time and, and up until the, my participation with uh, NAACP and the Salvation Army today in, in a very proactive way. Nice. Uh, whatever happened, uh, whatever happened to Sam? I don't know guy came to the door <laughs> two days later. Um, my dad was working. My mom was getting ready to go to work and um, I told him who he was, had, had cards and things. My mom was flabbergasted. I'll make, I'll cut that sh- part of it short for you. My dad came back had another meeting that evening with, with this nice man. The next day, we had all of our belongings in one square suitcase, mind you. And with this man hosting us, uh, we got on a train. And a couple of days later, we're at Grand Central Station, Los Angeles. Less than a week later, I'm auditioning with a wonderful director named Roland B. Lee for a, a classic movie that you have a hard time finding when they can find it, people love it to death, called Mother Carries, not carries like a, a load in your arm, but mm. Mother Carries Chickens. Hmm. Uh, it had all, uh, had, uh, all kinds of wonderful, uh, well-known stars in it at the time. And uh, golly, I must have been in every third scene in that thing. And it's the only <laughs> film then, I was told later, who told me, somebody with authority told me later, that it was the first major film uh, from Hollywood where they let a, a little runt kid, just barely five years old, uh, uh, do the closing scene. Wow. Mother Carrie's Chickens. That was the first of eight films. And, uh, and I was a contract player um, with, uh, with RKL, but they loaned me out to Universal and then later to Bambi after Disney. Wasn't Bambi one of the first animated roles where they actually let children voice the roles? And that was that was my last film activity. Uh, I think it was a, it was the eighth film. I had co-star, uh, believe it or not, it's hard to think. I had co-star billing in all the other films, the Son of Frankenstein and a bunch of others. Yeah. Um, Bambi was the first animation um, of, uh, of my experience, and uh, I learned uh, then. Now I think I'm six, six and a quarter. Then, when this started with Disney. I learned then that it was the first time that any of the theaters, any of the production houses in America uh, that did animated cartoons and um, feature films in those days, basic ones, 
use children uh, for the actual voices. They all previously had used, including Disney, adults that uh, replicated a child's, yeah. or tried to re- replicate a child's voice. Uh, I remember hearing that at the time, and I, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't jaded then or now, uh, but I had a lot of experience by age six and six something, right? Yeah. Um, so I was reading very well then, newspapers. Uh, I wasn't jaded, but I was maybe six, uh, going on seventeen. So <laughs> I was very aware of things, um, and that made an impression on me. And I, I remember hearing debates. You know, they're not arguments now, but debates with the wonderful staff people in Disney that I later learned stayed with with Walt for 20, 25 years. Huh. He had a retention rate that was outrageous in that industry. But I remember hearing, um, and not quite understanding, maybe not understanding at all, okay, um, uh, many, many comments about Walt's insistence on using oils for the foregrounds. Oils for the foregrounds, like Rembrandt, oil paintings, uh-huh. okay? I later learned, you know, not much later, that Mr. Disney wanted Bambi, all the characters and all the foreground movements, be done in actual oils, which slowed the production of that thing down by nine months. Uh, and it's not worth it, because look, the, the, look at the original, and certainly look at the Blu-ray edition. Yeah. And now the backgrounds uh, were in uh, watercolor, the static backgrounds, but the, not the foregrounds. And... Uh, a wonderful. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Wonderful experience. We were back there when they when they uh, they discovered I was alive. Nobody knew until about twelve years ago. I had anything to do with the films. I never talked about it. Uh-huh. I was married for two years to this wonderful lady Dana, and before she found out, I just never talked about. Well, uh, eleven years ago, ten and a half, when the Blu-ray was being constructed for uh, distribution, Disney found out I was alive. Not for me, other people and had us out as, as a guest for a couple of wonderful days. They showed me the plates. Big, guys, if you can imagine the wall in your home or office, mm-hmm. the whole wall, solid glass, oh, okay? wow. quality glass, and here's one plate, and then behind that by a foot is another plate, uh-huh. behind that is another plate wall, okay? And he had in oil, not watercolor, okay? He had those forest scenes in the opening scene and later, Remember the opening scene for oh, the yes. film? Yes. With that song, um, Love is a Song That Never Ends? Mm-hmm. It looks like it's 3D, right? It sure does. That was the first three... I'm an old physicist, man. I and mean, that's a, a corny name for mathematician jerk. Okay? <laughs> that was the first attempt at visual depth perception uh, and entertainment in the country. People don't realize that. Um, and they let me see that. It's in a very privileged place at the Disney Burbank. I was fascinated, but they almost couldn't get me out of there. <laughs> they wanted to show me all this other stuff, and I'm in love with these plates. Wow. So tell me about Walt himself. What was your experience like with Walt? Oh, golly. You know, the old, my wife counted this up uh, last night. Hold on a minute. In the last 11 and a half years, this is my 43rd interview. Uh-huh. Media. Wow. <laughs> You're the only second guy, I think. Only second guy to ask that question. Huh. The only other guy was a, a very uh, dignified British uh, interviewer on on stage in what we call Good Morning America Okay. in London 10 years ago. Wow. When I was there for Disney. Wow. He's the only other one, I think, of real quick in my head that's asked that question. <laughs> I love that question. I, 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 I love about, Walt. About Walt. Okay. 
Let me tell you about Walt. Um, now, mind you, this is my eighth experience. A couple of the, the seventh films, a couple, I should not mention them, uh, were boring for a kid. I was in a lot of scenes. I had my lines memorized. Many adults did not. It drove me crazy. Um, there, but some of them, a couple of them were boring, boring, right? I'm at Disney. That's where all the little people are. I'm having a great time, right? <laughs> I have seen in the other studios, many of them now, my seven, seven films, and, and outside location lots, blah, blah, blah. I've seen executives and executives and producers and directors and bananas and apples. I've seen it all as a kid. They forget you're there. And if, if those are your initial impressions, okay, you're not biased by some previous experiences, uh, you read uh, people pretty well, okay? And I've seen some pompous uh, potatoes, okay? And I'm on recording here, so speaking of my vocabulary, but mm-hmm. I've seen some pompous ones and some phony ones, okay? And uh, I've seen, I had seen several times, several, where people were working real hard, getting ready for something uh, for the next scene, and here comes some executive out of the front office somewhere, and here's what the workers and even the actors would say, oh, gosh, here comes so-and-so, oh, my gosh, here comes so-and-so. Everybody would clutch up, right? <clears throat> Not with Disney. Hmm. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, he was zero pompous, zero pretentious. Wow. When I first met him, he had his sleeves rolled up and has been drying his hands from helping somebody wash something. <laughs> wow, that's and amazing. I, 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 the Disney name was there, but I wasn't into a corporate structure or ownership. You know, this is his place, uh, Disney. Here's Disney, right? Big deal. <laughs> he was a delight, an absolute delight. I had a lot of time with him. Um, and this is out of sequence, but I can't help but tell you, I saw something on, on Google last week that reminded me of this. I can't tell you. About halfway through, like, oh, they hired me first, the papers said later, and true, uh, to be the facial model, mm-hmm. not the voice. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time posing for the artists, looking right, looking left. I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. Yeah, please. About halfway through the production, uh, I didn't know, know what the storyline was. And I understood that at that time. It's not like a regular movie. What, what is this? What is the storyline of this thing, you know? What's this deer and all this stuff? Right? I'm sure at this point I'm probably pestering some people, including my poor mother, about this. <laughs> and, and what's a deer? I had never seen a deer. Wow. So she showed me one in a black and white in a, in a book and just, you know, static thing. I, Mom, what, is, what, what do deers do? <laughs> so she took me down to a zoo in Los Angeles in a park, um, Griff's, Griff's, Griff's Park or something, Los Angeles. And uh, this is 19. 19- 41 early, okay? And in the zoo park, uh, down in kind of a depression area, a very clean place, uh, where they told us where to go, was a deer, a single deer, a doe, no antlers, standing there, static, you know, and I called to it, didn't move. I mean, I didn't know anybody. I probably said doggy doggy or some dumb thing, it didn't move. And then somebody nearby, people started clutching around because I was well known. Uh, more than a kid probably should be in. And uh, they had little devices there on the fence where you could put nickel in or something and get um, corn and things for yep. the animals. So I got some, and I threw it right in front of a perfect shot, right in front of this deer. The deer, a very slow head, went down, looked, looked back up like, so what? Didn't move, right? <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying to my mom, 
I don't want to be a deer. That day is boring. That guy is boring. <laughs> oh, my mom. My mom was a wonderful lady, but she was a bit nervous about this. And she said, don't say that when we get back. We got to go back. Don't say that when we get back. See, we got to go back to the studio. <laughs> so the next day, specifically the next day, we're in the hallway going to something, some pre-recording booth or something. And, um, and it wasn't my mom. Who was it? Oh, my nanny. I had a nanny there at the studio. And I'm walking down the hall, and here comes Mr. Disney, and he's got a suit on at this time. I had not seen him in a suit. Very handsome, well-dressed man with another man that I saw often with him. Maybe I've been his brother, but I never knew that. Okay. Uh, and here comes Mr. Disney, and he, and he greeted me, put his hand up, and uh, my uh, my um, nanny and I stopped, you know, and, and he said, Donnie, I hear you've been to see a, uh, in the, uh, see a deer. And I said, oh, yes, sir. I promise you, Bambi will not be boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and I'll be darned if that darn uh, nanny a lady, nice gal, but uh, she got actually ratted me out to my mom. About that. <laughs> really funny. Um, uh, about a week, maybe a bit more later, um, I had my own experience. Oh, let me, let me go back here a minute. I had the impression, I did not articulate it then like I'm going to with you with some fun, but I had the impression at the time doing the Bambi work because I never had not been any children there doing these things, right? That some of the people there that had been there a long, long time, wonderful, wonderful artists he held on to, had not seen a child since birth. I mean, we were a novelty around mm -hmm. there, you know? So, but there was one, and they were all wonderful. Probably better than than a couple of us deserved, um, but there was one guy. I saw him several times, at least once every two or three days, two days, and he was a grouch. He was an anti kid grouch, okay, and uh, and overtly he wasn't subtle, you know, hmm. like Galloway kid kind of guy. <laughs> and he always had a bunch of papers in his hand. Always looked like he was the world was going to come to an end, and uh, <laughs> he was rude. On the Frankenstein set, a year and a half before, at Christmas, 1939, Boris Karloff, who I love to death, yes. he was a great guy, you know, funny, he was really funny. Really? I could never be as scared of him, he was a riot. <laughs> Boris Karloff gave me a water pistol for Christmas, 1939. Now, this wasn't, uh, uh, this wasn't a, a, a Mickey Mouse plastic thing like we have today. Yeah. This was an all-metal, made-in-Germany, pre-war, water pistol, wow. shot spiffy. It took me two fingers to do it, but shot spiffy. I remember hiding that from my mother. I should have never have done that. It was the only thing in my life I ever hid from my, my late mother. I lost my mother early. And uh, I tell children today, I'm going to tell you this story true, don't do this. And, uh, it makes me a hypocrite, don't do this. <laughs> I hid that from my mother successfully all that time. I always had a little bag I could carry around with books and things in it. Anyway, I'm in, uh, now I'm back at Disney, and I'm in the hallway, another hallway at the Burbank uh, Studios. And here, and I'm walking down by myself, going somewhere I'm told to go, and here comes this grouch guy, right? And he's mumbling, bumble blanket, tons of papers in his hand. And uh, uh, remember typewriters? Or you're maybe too old to have you, No, I don't remember know. Remember typewriters? Rat tat tat No. You could hear the typewriters in this hallway. It sounded like a machine gun factory, okay? Uh-huh. 
And I'm walking down the hallway, and here comes this guy. He looks up at me and nods his head like, I, it's, a long, it's a big hallway. He nods his head like I'm supposed to get out of the way, right? So I get out of the way. And he, he's, he's walking real slow because he's kind of sorting these papers out of him. I get around the corner of this intersection of the hallway. I get my water pistol out. Okay? This thing shot great. Okay? <laughs> I let him, I got, I stuck around the corner, got him twice in the back of the head. Oh, Donnie. Water. <laughs> Perfect shot. And he's mumbling, this leaking, this leaking, sunshine outside. It's leaking, he's racing the dickens. Dropped all of his papers. <laughs> Ladies, ladies and stuff, the ready tat tat machines came out in the hallway. He is raising the blazes about this thing. <laughs> now I'm getting ready to get out of here. Okay? I turn around. They can't see me yet. Behind me is a tree in a three piece suit. Okay? <laughs> it's the same man I've seen with Mr. Disney several times. Oh, no. A very dignified, um, well mannered man. And he gives me, he looks down at me, he looks over there. You, you, you know the expression they, the, the corny movies use today about a smoking gun? Uh-huh. Well, I had a dripping gun. I mean, I can't hide this thing. I'm dead. <laughs> I haven't put it away in my little bag yet. <laughs> and he looks at me, he gives me one of those uh, Mother Superior waves of the finger, like, no, no, no. Okay? And he looks around the corner to see who this is. And I'm watching this. I'm going to get fired. My mom's going to kill me. Okay? And he looks around the corner, looks back at me, and smiles. Now, think about that for a minute. My impression then was very quick. He must know who I shot. <laughs> and now I'm okay. <laughs> and he gives me one of these thumb deals, skedaddle. Man, I, I played a lot of football later. I'm age 32. <laughs> that was my apprentice fullback time. <laughs> I went through offices. I promise you probably had not seen a child since birth. Everybody stopped. I didn't know where I was going. Got lost in the long run. Made my way back to my where my mom was supposed to be. She wasn't. Lots of people there. Up comes a security guy. Now this is not like today, but overarmed like like um, an invasion. Okay, militarized police and everything, which I, I have strong feelings against. Anyway, it's not like that at all. A very nice man I've seen before. He had a badge on of some kind that everybody knew was security. Just a business suit and no tie. Uh, but we knew him. And here he comes up to me and says, Donnie, I need your gun. I'm dead. My mom's not there, thank goodness. I'm dead. People around there, but they're not paying much attention. And I, I'm, I'm trying to, what, what, how can I get out of this? <laughs> and this, people asked about this later when they discovered it. <laughs> I looked up at him and I said, sir, sir. Frankenstein gave me this water pistol. Frankenstein. This, water, this pistol's Frankenstein. <laughs> like, oh, Boris is going to save my buck on this water pistol. <laughs> well, that didn't work. They took my boy, he took my water pistol, and uh, at least that kept me from hiding it from my mom, Yeah. Uh, which I started feeling bad about at the time. Now, let me fast forward on this to you. So when we're out to, uh, as guests to Disney, uh, 10, 11 years ago, a couple of days, I'm in their executive dining room with a wonderful man named Howard Green, our host, and some of the Disney people. And off on the side was a, a very quiet, was a large uh, table, which I gather was board members and the uh, top CEOs, CFOs, etc. As we get ready to, to leave, uh, they waved us over. And um, Howard uh, introduced me, and a couple of people said, no, it can't be. Like, I'm, this is 10 years ago. I'm 70-something, right? Yeah. 
uh, like a, it can't be a lie, right? And after we got past that obstacle, and I'm obviously alive, still coaching boxing in the ring, uh, I need a street man here. <laughs> One of the nicest guys I've, who I've met subsequently looked up at me and said exactly the right line. He said, he said, Donnie, is there anything we can do for you? <laughs> I got him. I love it. My wife knows what's coming. She turned her head. <laughs> and I looked down at these distinguished people all looking at me, and it's the strongest, clearest, Marine Battalion Commander voice I have, and I said, I want my gun back. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know anything about this war, and they froze. Oh, my God, he's asking for a gun, a gun, a gun. <laughs> so that led to, a, to a, what would you call it, an abridged little account of the water gun thing. And then later that day, we discovered that the conscientious people sent somebody down into the bowels of their archives Trying to find my water gun. Oh man! <laughs> Wonderful people. Oh, it's too bad they couldn't find it. Oh well, I'm glad they don't. You know why? Because every time they communicate with, that was just out there as a guest or through Cisco Expo 23, I think. Not as a no, not guest, except for one big event. Well, we were out there with them, and I saw a couple of their younger execs, and and I gave them, I gave one of them a little paper bill I made up real quick. Interest rate at one percent on the value of that water pistol. Yeah, <laughs> since nineteen forty-one. <laughs> oh yes, and it was given to you by Frankenstein, so you can't put a dollar on that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me about those drawing sessions when you were surrounded by the artists. Oh, okay. Now that was the very first experience, and I had not had one before. Okay, I would sit on a stool. Uh, um, this is a very pleasant experience. It it, uh, it felt a bit like extra work at times because I I had the patience of of nothing at the time, and uh, and I wanted to go play ball. I'm losing my. Let me insert here. Around this time, I started having the feeling I'm losing my childhood. It's films, films, films. Practice, practice, practice. Addition, addition, addition. A war, a warborn drive's coming up pretty soon. I had no childhood. I, I kept hearing. Children, other children talk about their dads took them to the zoo, or they went here or did that. I had I did not do any of that. It said, work, 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 work. Now I'm on a stool working, and I'm six and a quarter or something, and they don't curl my hair anymore. Thank goodness, my hair was straight as a string. <laughs> and all those films, everybody thinks it was blonde curly. Yeah. It was blonde, but it wasn't curly. <laughs> they curled it twice a day with a bummer. Wow. Now my hair is not curly. I'm like a regular little guy. I'm sitting on a stool, and 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 a semicircle of artists um, uh, with a million pencils were uh, sitting around in a semicircle. I'm in the I'm on a stool in the middle, and they would say, "Look left." I looked at them, and I, I had large eyes at the time. I still have for my age now, I guess, but I had large ones at the time when I wanted to. I could really open them up. Look left. You know, look right. Look up. Look afraid. Look happy. You know. And the, the funniest one was, and the children in the children's hospitals. I told this now. They love this stuff. The, the funniest one was there's a scene early in the first, um, fourth or fifth of the classic original, uh, where Bambi has done something silly like kids do, and he's sitting in the middle of a thicket, spread legged out, and he's feeling sorry for himself. And he just met Celine and, and was afraid of her and a little deer girl, and she sticks her head through the thicket and licks his cheek like a little deer kiss. Yeah. 
remember, I don't know the storyline. I had not seen the book. I got an original here in my library, but I had not seen the book, did not know the storyline for poop, right? They, these guys are telling me, these artists are telling me, Donnie, look like something terrible has happened to you. I'm having mostly the time of my life. I'm working, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a good time. I don't know how to do that. I tried to make a bad face, and it didn't work. Mr. Disney comes in, and he's he's not sitting, he's standing, and I'm very aware he's there, but he's, nobody's worried about him. He's, he pitches in and helps things. So he wasn't that kind of, here comes the boss deal, yeah. right? Look, look afraid, look, look scared. Finally, some guy, in the, one of the artists with all these pencils, says, Donnie, have you had any bad times or bad experiences lately uh, at school? I didn't go to school, I was home, uh, homeschool uh, with tutors. Uh, have you had any bad, blah, 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 blah. And then he said, have you had any medicines, any bad medicines or something? And I thought, wait a minute. Two weeks before, my mom had, we traveled a ton, my mom had given me a double dose of what was called castor oil in those days. Oh, yeah. That stuff was made by a committee in, 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 in Hades. I mean, it was terrible <laughs> stuff. Okay? <laughs> anyway, I remembered that. I said, I had castor oil last week or something. And the guy looks at me and says, Donnie, this is important. You just had two doses of castor oil. What do you think? And I went, ooh. And they said, hold it. <laughs> I I did the ooh face facial expression. And then I said, "Hold it!" I had to hold that darn thing for twenty minutes. Oh my goodness! And and for a child, that's hard to do. <laughs> so later in life, now that they know I'm still around, and I get a chance to to transfer the joy of Bambi, not Dunnigan, but the joy of Bambi into little wards and hospitals, which I do all I can. With children and things, and orphanages. Um, there's a little bit more than I'm giving you here on the phone. Uh, a little more animation because I stand up and move around. Yeah. Um, the kids love that. They just, they just love it. I said, now children, when you see that film again, and you see Feline going there and getting that kiss, <laughs> and he, he looks, he hasn't discovered girls yet, right? He looks like, oh my, that's terrible. Guess what? That is the castor oil scene. Oh, hey. I love it. Oh, I, I can never watch that scene the same again. <laughs> <laughs> Now, am I correct in understanding that you still have never met another cast member of uh, Bambi except for, um, oh, what's her name? Who who voiced Philly? I didn't meet anybody in the cast until, uh, until I guess, hold on a minute, four, three and a half years ago on the television show The View in New York. Wow. I didn't meet anyone. I never saw them there. Um, there was a young girl that did some uh, some substitute voicing, um, that um, was with me when they finally got the Bambi novel and a nice lady, a secretary, to sit us down. I kept griping about what's the storyline, right? Uh, sit us down and with some, an- with some uh, uh, animation drawings, black and white drawings, on my lap and her lap. And this nice secretary lady was briefing us on the storyline. And uh, that girl was thin, and, and uh, I'd seen her a couple of times, she was used for something different. I don't. I don't think she was in that film. The uh, the uh, what's uh, hold on a minute. I, I know his name. That's embarrassing. Oh, don't call him. Uh, Peter Vane. Yeah. Who played um, uh, that wonderful part, uh, Thumper? You know, I oh I got I could have double. I would have loved to have that part. Yeah, you know, that would be fun, part. huh? <laughs> uh, 
Peter Bain uh, and I met for the first time. They staged it. They wow. kept us apart like barbed wire. Uh, Peter Bain and I met for the first time on stage with Whoopi Goldberg uh, on The View. Then it took us out. It took me a bit out of my spontaneous, my, uh, the spontaneous um, genes I have in me. And I, uh, they had asked me some questions before the show, and I'd share some answers with him like I am with you. And, and, uh, but that surprised me. And we sat up on the stage there with the Whoopi and some nice ladies. Um, and uh, I think I would have been more animated and uh, had maybe had a bit more fun with that show had I not uh, been so surprised uh, to have him there and uh, have him sit right next to me. Um, he's not as tall as I am, very pleasant, um, <laughs> soft-spoken fellow. Um, and um, anyway, I understand that Disney is putting on a um, special showing for 400 people. If I 400, I may have that wrong. Don't I may have that wrong. I just heard a hearsay remark. Okay. Hundreds of people um, in late February back in Burbank. We've been invited wow. for a special showing, and I hear hearsay that uh, Peter Bain is going to be there again. Uh, I would recognize him in a minute, uh, but I did not see him on the set. I did not know he existed. Now, mind you, I did not even hear these other parts. I'm in a sound stage. They say, Donnie, what you say certain thing a certain way. Okay. You know, and that was it. There was no um, um, interrelationships. There was no social relationships. The other films were different. There was a lot of that. But uh, my, my, uh, let me share this with you. This is important. I, uh, Disney needs to give, and I've just shared this with them, they need to give me a, a, a medium a forum opportunity soon to do what I enjoy doing with large groups in Chicago, different places when I'm a guest for different things. A lot of Marine Corps invitations separate from this. Tons of them, okay? And other things. Anyway, <clears throat> Disney needs to give me a forum before I croak to <laughs> share with people the absolute joy that makes smiles in a hospital ward of children that are understandably not very happy. Yeah. Okay? The joy that Bambi can produce. Yes, okay? yes. And I, I, I walk away from some of those things, Tim. I think I could be an absolute clever rock jerk moron. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> as long as I could, uh, I could have swept the floor at Disney doing Bambi. Okay? <laughs> Had nothing to do with the production proper, and just be able to say I was there when Bambi was made, and here's what I remember. And the kids line up. I was just had a, a an old folks home. And I should not use that term. You can tell my age, right? <laughs> uh, assisted living um, home here with hundreds and hundreds, including some old vets uh, that I visit for different reasons. And they had a big assembly there for me this year. And, um, and um, I do some corny things, trying to make some very sad people laugh. And, and as soon as we get into the Bambi thing, ladies who have been sitting in their wheelchair, I promise you, for 30 minutes putting up with me and just bland, okay, curious, but bland, right? Their faces change. Their hands are shaking. They put their hands up, and they say, "That was my first film I remember." Oh wow! You know? Now, if Walt could understand, wherever he is, if Disney could day to understand the absolute dynamic joy that Bambi has, if if the people get a chance to to interrelate with it, now uh, they would shock them. I think 
because I'm having a heck of a good time with it. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I I have a a three year old daughter who who loves it right now too. Actually, the funny thing was I was watching it with her last week, and uh, her favorite Disney movie is Pinocchio. And hmm. so we were watching Bambi, and she was like, "Where's Where's Nokio?" The whole time, "Where's Nokio?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, she loves Bambi. She she was just dying hysterically when you when you're out there on the ice, just sliding around. That's funny. <laughs> and and, and, and um, I imitate. I have you know for the audiences for fun for charity. No no fees. Uh-huh. And I like it. Use the fees. I'm making her send me, but and, 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 uh, no fee, not for profit, helping things. I have. <laughs> I have imitated uh, Thumper in front of audience too, and uh, sometime maybe in February I'll have some fun imitating it with uh, with um, uh, Peter Bain, who may not do it anymore. Yeah. But uh, I have little fun with that. Like, uh, 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 let's see, early in the film, Bambi's trying to walk, you know, and Thumper looks at his mom and says, <clears throat> "See if I can do this." <laughs> He's kind of wobbly, ain't he, mom? <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's a wonderful life experience, and I've had some. Now, here's the punchline. Until they discovered, they being media, uh, USA Today, Dallas Morning News, Center Times here with Scripps Howard, and who are there? Who are somebody else? Uh, because a wonderful old lady who's gone now, whose family was a pioneer in putting this town and county together, we just lost her two years ago, 94. And uh, this is uh, 12, 13 years ago. She, she's at her first home here. You know, um, we helped her when she was by herself in hospital out here. And uh, we kind of adopted her and vice versa. And she was visiting us. And, and uh, for some reason, Dana uh, wanted to get out one of the, this is before anybody do anything, uh, wanted to get out one of the uh, old uh, copies of a black and white bamboo we had and give it to a little girl down the street who had uh, uh, pneumonia, and who, uh, who family told us that was in love with this, love with that. And they had one of the black and white, not black and white, had one of the first releases, real to real releases. Wow. Mammy. Anyway, Dana's got this out, I wasn't there. And uh, um, Dana made <laughs> the tactical positive, or whatever, a mistake of, of uh, telling this nice lady named Ann Ricker, um, a bit about the see about the film. Well, Anne was a it was a connected lady. Okay, she had a hold of a couple of people, all excited when she got home. You know, I just found out, just found out, find out, and somebody that had a relationship with one of the executives in Disney in Dallas called Disney, and they told Howard Green. And the next thing I know, my phone is ringing like a bookie joint in New Jersey. <laughs> 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 we couldn't stop it ringing. <laughs> And uh, and then I spent about a year and a half catching blazes from old Marines all over the country. That uh, I had a wonderful, very unique life experience. A lot of combat time experience with, and they would call it. I was a commander in most most in most cases. And a couple of generals who I wasn't, and uh, they'd call and uh, and say, uh, "One old master sergeant in North Dakota." I'll never forget. <laughs> I could even imitate him. They call you Skipper. If you're a commander, like in the Navy, they call you Skipper. Skipper, Skipper, we got to handle the son of Frankenstein thing. We probably called you that when you didn't know. Ha ha! <laughs> you should have told us about the Bambi. We got to eat your lunch with Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they why I didn't draw them. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. So yeah, tell me about your time as a Marine and the, the deep, dark secret that you kept from everybody. I understand that one person found out while you were still active, right? Yeah, General. My dearest friend, Kenneth Halton, a legend, an absolute bona fide legend in the Marine Corps. From Korea forward. Uh, anyway, Kenneth J. Halton. And uh, he, he saw me three times in life. Uh, I would always, uh, he retired as a major general, I retired as a major, selected for colonel, but I couldn't pass my. I'm a commander of boot camp of troops and drill instructors. And because the war's over, I got plates and pins from gunshots, right? Mm-hmm. Now the, the standards for passing your physical for promotion change, and I'm getting, I get some static from the Navy board because I got plates and pins, right? And uh, now, mind you, I still coach boxing until my mid-70s. I'm so mad about this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they're going to make me a limited duty officer. I'm a commander of, of drill instructors and recruits. I'm there at 5.30 in the morning doing physical stuff like an 18-year-old, and I can't pass your physical. I was mad. I was very angry. I didn't swear, but I clearly ain't close, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, um, before that, uh, there always been a big rank difference between us, of course. And I was a, a very young person before I was um, commissioned a regular line officer. Um, Howden was a lieutenant colonel, and he stole me from the internet. Anyway, I worked for him three times. Famous, famous man. Uh, could play double-deck chess. And the other officers who didn't understand he was bright, they thought he was just a big charismatic leader. If they, guys who didn't understand he was very bright, he would eat him up and spit him out. Okay. So anyway, I'm in my last tour with him. We don't both don't know that. Okay. And uh, he's the commanding general of all that apparatus, the boot camp, and all that San Diego uh, Naval District stuff. And I am one of his unit commanders, and and, uh, and on and on. And it's uh, October 1977, and I had not made a decision to do anything. I'm about to be selected deep for lieutenant colonel. And by deep, I mean way below his own. I have no idea that's coming. He doesn't either, I don't think. And um, uh, he's been there for two years, and they're going to probably pull him out somewhere. And he's having a little bit, t- a little trouble running now, a couple miles a day. And he, he's in his uh, mid-40s because of a uh, little hip wound. Anyway, um, it's very early in the morning, about 6 o'clock in October 1977. I got a court-martial that morning to do. I got two promotion boards to do. I got at least four inspections of troops to do, and I'm busy. Right? He calls me in on the on the intercom. We had these old-fashioned um, um, uh, squawk boxes. We called them on our desk. A very nice office building at the end of the recruit depot, Craigfield. Moorish architecture, beautiful thing. I hope it's still there. And uh, I had a couple offices there with some helpers and and. Uh, I had a squat box at my desk. It's about 8 o'clock. And I'm getting ready for all this busyness, right? And I, I've known him for years. <laughs> and he's very charismatic, as smart as a whip. And <laughs> I learned long ago that when, when he was going to stick me with doing something else, it was very proper and very formal. And here he comes on the squat box. Major Dunnigan, are you in yet? Would you please see me? And I'm looking at my my first sergeant and one of the young captains, and they're all shaking their heads like, "You're going to get it again." <laughs> <laughs> when he wasn't like that, it was, "Dunningham, get out of here!" <laughs> <laughs> so, and oh my gosh! So yeah, I, I go down the hall, four or five officers down in a beautiful place, and you know, and I check in with the chief of staff. I go and see him. And normally, I mean, I'm, I never took advantage of this. We're very close, close, close. 
But uh, I never abused that. I never took advantage of asserting when not anybody else was around, right? I, always proper. And uh, I reported that to him, General. And I got my heels locked up, right? And I'm standing there. He doesn't invite me to sit down. He's always done that, you know? I'm standing there. And he's looking at a bunch of notes in front of me, and he looks up to me. I, this is verbatim, absolutely verbatim. It's burning in here like radar. And he says, Dunnigan, I want you to audit the auditors. He said, we got Navy auditors, or civilian auditors on the base all over the place. I want you to audit the auditors. <laughs> audit the auditors. Now, I was an investigative auditor for the Inspector General of the Navy Department a couple of times, TAD, everything. I know how to audit, then and now. I mean, I really know how to audit. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I, I never talked back to him. Zip, zero. Distinguished, wonderful man. And, and though we were separated in rank, I had my own, um, I had my own image that I wanted, wanted to protect him. And probably undeserved, but I wanted to protect it. And uh, I looked at him. i never forget. I said, General, that's fine, sir. I'll have him in here at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, get smart with me, Dunningham. I want you to follow him around. I want you to audit their findings. Oh, my God. <laughs> he has no idea what my calendar looks like, or he doesn't look here. <laughs> oh, then I said something else to him, Bubba. I tell you, General, how about Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock? Dunningham. Dunningham. You will. Then he paused. I'll never forget this. Now, you got to mind you, I love this guy. He reached over and patted a folder on his desk. And I didn't, I'm not paying attention to this darn thing. He got a big desk. He patted a folder on his desk, and it was red, and it had a top secret on it, and it had a attached paper thing on it, had my name on it. And I hadn't seen it before. Not there, anyway. I know we had those around. I had put them together with another guy over the years. And I didn't know we had that here in San Diego. And he had it on in a safe, I learned later. And he patted this folder, and it was my White House Ultra Top Secret Clearance. And he patted this folder and looked up at me and said, Now, this ain't going back to birth. Those kind of BIs, background investigators, go back to birth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he patted this folder, looked up at me, and I'll never forget this. Pulled his glasses down like Wallace Berry. Looked at me and said, You will audit the auditors. Won't you, Major Bambi? <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. Three months before this, Disney just put out, the papers just put out that Walter was going to uh, re-release Bambi for the first time oh. in, in the page, in real for real. You know? And the paper in San Diego suggested that he was going to put credits on it. Oh, it no. Three months before this event, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Most people hadn't seen Bambi. The young people, the drone instructors, they had heard about it from comic books. Yeah. Think their image was that Bambi was this little wobbly, isn't he? Um, uh, on his belly, sitting on the ice guy, right? And sitting in the thicket feeling sorry for himself guy, right? Not the courageous Bambi of on the rocks against the yep. dogs and yep. protecting Philly and against that jerk there, you know? Uh, but, uh, so the image was, and I verified this later, I asked him later, you know? Uh, but the funny, wonderful little funny deer, kind of fragile and kind of clumsy. And my thought was, oh my God, if that, if he puts credits on this thing, it'll be shown in the base theater right away for sure. Be in all the theaters in San Diego, and here, here up on the screen in a preamble is a facial model and voice of Bambi Donnie Dunnigan, right? And all these guys, these are the toughest guys in the Marine Corps. These drill instructors and these young captains. You know, I've said this before to other people, but this is my, my thought. 
somebody would write home right away, Dear Mom, Dear Dad, guess what? My commanding officer is Major Bambi. <laughs> and I, I don't have a chicken button much. I got a hold of my body to prove it. Okay? <laughs> but I found him a chicken button on that one, and I pressed it. It didn't say peanut, but I said nothing. And they released it, and it didn't have credits on it, and I got away with it. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Mother! Thank you for everything, for your for your Bambi, for serving our country, first of all, which is amazing. Thank you for that. Um, and meeting you at the D23 Expo really was one of the highlights of my, my week that week. So thank you so much. You're most welcome, Kim. You're most welcome. Have a good time with this thing. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.